Hello, my name is Pete. This is Social Distance. Alright, not bad. So, it's happening. It's happening. Christmas is on its way. Tell us what's going on. Mika. It started with the state of Michigan's top election board voting yesterday to certify President-elect Joe Biden's win over President Trump with a margin of more than 154,000 votes. Three out of four board members, including one Republican, voted to certify the election results. The other GOP board member withheld his vote. Last week, President Trump welcomed two other Republican state lawmakers from Michigan who had been pushing to delay certification in key counties to the White House in a move that many saw as an attempt to influence the certification process. Yes. Yesterday, Michigan's Secretary of State tweeted in part, quote, democracy has prevailed. The election was fair and secure, and the results accurately reflect the will of the people. And with that, though the president himself is not conceding, the Trump administration has finally cleared the way for the Biden transition. The head of the General Services Administration informed the president-elect yesterday that he'd been approved as the apparent winner of the election, unlocking federal funds for his transition and allowing him to coordinate with federal agencies even more urgent amid the coronavirus pandemic. In a letter to President-elect Biden, GSA Administrator Emily Murphy wrote, quote, Please know that I came to my decision independently, based on the law and available facts. I was never directly or indirectly pressured by any executive branch official, including those who work at the White House or GSA, with regard to the substance or timing of my decision. In a tweet, moments after her decision, President Trump insisted it was his recommendation to move forward with the transition. But he added, our case strongly continues. We will keep up the good fight, and I believe we will prevail. The president also tweeted late last night that he will, quote, never concede, and that his legal challenges will continue. Multiple sources tell the New York Times that in recent days, top aides, including White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, White House Counsel Pat Cipollone, and the president's personal attorney, Jay Sekulow, all told him that the transition needed to begin. The Times reports that the president continued to solicit advice from Rudy Giuliani, who told the president that his legal options had not yet been exhausted. The Washington Post reports the president was angry about the pressure from his top aides. Quote, he called political advisors Monday to say he had doubts about the GSA initiating the transition to inquire about whether he could block certification of the Michigan results and to express reluctance to travel to Georgia to campaign for the two Republican senators facing runoff elections. Despite Trump's resistance, the Post reports that officials throughout the administration plan to coordinate directly with counterparts on the Biden team starting today. So there we go. Um, It's happening. The transition is up and running at last. A couple of things to say that uh, Miko on Morning Joe there didn't mention. This also includes, uh, it's a couple of days after they got rid of Sidney Powell from the legal team, Trump's legal team, who 
was just spouting the most insane, um, <laughs> just really off the wall, so off the wall. I mean, you know, you know that you've jumped the shark when Donald Trump uh, can see through the bullshit, you know? And even like, you know, Tucker Carlson, who's this kind of infamous dude on Fox News, called her out for it. And everyone was calling her out for these just ridiculous things that she was saying and speaking in this really horrible way. Like she said that she was going to blow up Georgia in because she was going to uh, file a fucking case against um, the people that were in charge of um, voting in Georgia. So really incendiary and fantastical uh, ideas that Sidney Powell had. Of course, Sidney Powell was Trump's lawyer, uh, standing next to um, Giuliani and, uh, and the other one as well. I think her name's Jennifer Ellis, Jen Ellis, I think, something like that, or Ennis, maybe. Um, and anyway, you know, Sidney Powell jumped the shark, got rid of her, and then, like Mika said, Michigan came through, even though Trump had tried to wine and dine the fuckers, they came through. And um, Pennsylvania also came through as well. And so it looks like uh, Trump and, and, of course, all of the private people, you know, the, like the chief of staff and the personal lawyer went to him privately and said, listen, mate, the game is up, for fuck's sake. The game is up. Now, I want to focus on two things. Number one, if you read the... Now, remember, you always have to remember that this is a big grift and he's trying to get as much money as possible, Trump, from his supporters. So he's still sending out emails today saying, oh, you know, we've still got cases to uh, fight and, um, you know, so I still need money. And he's upped it to 75% of money that comes in can be uh, put away. It's not for the uh, cases that they're fighting at the moment, but can be put away either to uh, pay off his campaign debts or for some kind of future court fund, because he's going to be in trouble in the future in court. And of course, he doesn't want to spend his own money when he can spend the money of fucking idiots that voted for him, you know. So he's still, you know, trying to um, sponge as much money as possible off of idiot people. And uh, the other thing as well, though, if you so you've got to remember that, you know, but even taking that into consideration, if you look at the text of the tweet, it is actually quite conciliatory for Trump. Yeah, of course, he says, you know, we will win in the end and blah, blah, blah. But it's quite conciliatory. He basically acknowledges that uh, the transition has to um, take place and he's instructing people to do it. And the people, of course, are doing it anyway, like whether without his instruction or, or not, you know. But it does matter, I think, that he is saying that, um, you know, he's instructing them. And I think that golf, in the long scheme... I'm not a presidential historian. I know most of you think I am, but I'm not, OK? I've only written five books on past presidents. And I think to be in the presidential historian club... You have to have written seven. It's fucking hard clubs to get into. There's only a couple of them in there, but, you know, I'm not one of them. My three-parter, the trilogy on Barry Doorbell, is very, very good, very exciting. Do you know Barry Doorbell? Do you remember him? Yeah. When the historians look back on the Trump presidency, 
I think that in this couple of weeks, like three weeks or so, between the tweet he sent yesterday and election day, I think golf is going to be a key factor in it. And I think that it did an enormous amount of good for Trump's mental health to be on the golf course for so long. It was good for the rest of us that he wasn't up to his old tricks in the White House as much as he would have been if he wasn't on the golf course. And I really think that it probably was a really good that he could process the information, you know, get upset about the ball, probably some fucking, like his caddy or the fucking idiots that are playing with him, you know, forced to play with him. They probably had to go through hell, you know, him having tantrums and, you know, apparently he cheats a lot when he plays golf. Um, But, you know, just being exposed to the wind and the fresh air and... You know, I mean, it's not nature, of course, a golf course, but it's better than being stuck in an office and it's definitely better than watching Fox News. Absolutely better than that. And I think probably when we look back, as presidential historians look back, we will see that golf played a a key part in getting us to where we are today. Joe Biden has got more than 80 million votes now, first time in history. There's still more votes coming in from New York um, in Biden-friendly areas as well. So that is going to go up. He's got uh, over 6 million votes more than Donald Trump. He's on 80 uh, million and Donald Trump is on 73.9 million. And he's on 51.1%. And at the moment, Trump is on 47.1%. So a four-point difference. That four-point difference is slightly larger than the difference between Barack Obama and Mitt Romney in 2012. But Obama did get 332 electoral votes because he won a couple of states that... um, Biden didn't win. Iowa and um, Ohio as well, I think. And um, so, yeah, there we go. But nevertheless, you know, a huge turnout, absolutely huge. I think it's 14% higher than 2016. Biggest turnout in the history of the election, you know, all of the elections that they've ever bloody had. And, you know, nobody's uh, come close to 80 uh, million votes. Donald Trump is the uh, Republican nominee with the most number of votes. And, you know, there's a big difference between 73 million and 80 million. So, fantastic work from Joe Biden. Happy Thanksgiving. If you are celebrating Thanksgiving in the States, then have a happy and safe Thanksgiving. I hope somewhere in there you get a chance to just chill out and relax and forget about everything and eat whatever it is that you're eating. I suppose that turkey is the traditional thing, but I don't want to cast 
assumptions on anything that I'm, I'm not going to be eating turkey I don't eat fucking turkeys so you know maybe you're the same maybe you don't eat turkeys either or, but anyway whatever you do eat you know enjoy it and um, you don't need a fucking lecture about it do you no but uh, have a great safe time okay please try to be safe on your way back to wherever it is that you're going back to uh, maybe you're you know descaling the kettle <laughs> Descaling. Maybe you're descaling the fish. No. Maybe you're um, descaling your usual uh, Thanksgiving, uh, you know, plans. And maybe it's a quiet one for, you know, many, obviously for many people. And probably for you as well, actually, if you're listening to this, there's probably a good chance that you have, like, really thought through all of the steps to uh, take to have a safe thanksgiving uh but yeah have a great time and congratulations whatever it is that what is it i, don't, I have no idea what it's about but i, I don't know it's something to do with what is it i don't know email me if you want to bother but maybe i'll just google it later but anyway have a lovely thanksgiving and now here's an interesting thing okay this is very interesting london has been put it's nothing to do with thanksgiving by the way We've done that. London has been put into tier two and there is a developing, um, you know, outrage because Manchester and quite a lot of the north, not Liverpool, but quite a lot of the north are still in tier three. And London, even though there's parts of London that have got uh, higher infection rates than parts of the north, London has been put in tier two and not in tier three. If you're a politician, no matter what, you know, who you are, if you're representing the people, you obviously are representing the, you know, restaurants and the cafes and the pubs and blah, 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 all the rest of it. And you want those places to be open. I understand that. Yeah. If you're a person with a fucking heart condition that's going to die if you get the fucking thing, obviously I see it from a different point of view. But I understand that, you know, um, what's his name? Uh, the guy, the mayor of Tickletown, would want to have his his Tickle Town in tier uh, Tickle Town is definitely in tier three, isn't it? Tickle Town, poor fucking life with the infection, but they want to have it in tier two in Tickle Town, and in other places as well because of course they want the pubs open. So I do understand the kind of political dimension of this, but uh, it's interesting because it feeds into this north south divide uh, problem that we've had for decades and well hundreds of years you know and the idea that London is treated uh, in a in a particular different way because it's the kind of centre of power in the UK anyway I just thought I'd bolt that on to saying happy Thanksgiving so I think that's probably what Thanksgiving is about actually yeah this new this breaking news (laughs) about tears anyway bye (laughs) Podcast Call
crashed on Wednesday so this is going up on Thursday I do apologize for the delay uh, but it does mean though we've got the breaking news of the different tiers in, the, in England including Devon is in tier two and if you go to the um, written statements on the uh, Parliament website Hattie Mancock has got all of the details there now this slapdash bunch of fucking crooks they don't even bother to proofread the document before they publish it to the world. <laughs> it's, it's filled with question marks. It's an absolute joke. It'll probably be updated, you know, later on in the day. But anyway, so all of these places were either put into tier one, tier two or tier three. Most of them are in tier uh, two and some of them are in tier uh, three, loads and loads are in tier three. Only three places are in tier one. Devon is in tier two, and the justification on Hattie Mancock's written statement is case rates are 121 per 100,000 overall. There are higher rates in Plymouth, Torbay, and Exeter. The case rate in the over 60s is 85 per 100,000, though significantly higher in Exeter. 155.9 per 100,000. Positivity is 4.2. There is pressure at the Royal Devon and Exeter Hospital. So that's the reason why Devon was put into Tier 2. And in Tier 2, um, non-essential retail gyms personal care can reopen because we're in lockdown until the uh, 2nd of December, so in about a week's time. The wider leisure and entertainment sector will also reopen, although to varying degrees. Uh, Stay-at-home requirements will end. Communal worships, weddings and outdoor sports can resume. People can no longer be limited to seeing one other person in outdoor public spaces. So the rule of, stick, the rule of six will come about again. And in Tier 2, hospitality settings that serve alcohol must close unless operating as restaurants. Hospitality venues can only serve alcohol with substantial meals. So basically you can go to Weatherspoons and, you know, get a burger whilst you're getting pissed for the night. So, you know, Tier 2 really doesn't work. We know that Tier 2 doesn't work because Tier 2 has been in place for months in various parts of the UK and, you know, just kept going up and up and up. As Independence said ages ago, you know, the, the structure of this tier system is fundamentally flawed. 
Tier 1 goes to Tier 2. Tier 2, inexecrably, is that the word? Yes, that is the bloody word, goes to Tier 3. And um, only in Tier 3, after quite a while, do things start to turn around. So, for instance, in Liverpool, things have started to turn around. And Liverpool has gone from Tier 3, coming out of lockdown, they're then going to go into Tier 2. But that's incredibly rare. And also there's a couple of people, obviously, you know, because this is Hattie Mancock we're talking about. A couple of Tory MPs have been, um, you know, on the phone to Hattie saying, Hattie, sort me out, will you? I don't want to be in tier three. You know, I've got like fucking mates who run pubs who are complaining. Because in tier three, like now, they're actually closing the pubs and the restaurants. Like, thank fuck. They've changed it so that it actually is more of a restriction you know so tier three is where it's at you know what i mean hospitality will close except for delivery drive-through and takeaways and um so that's good in tier three and there's about 40 percent of the country in tier three roughly um you know 50 uh nine percent yeah it's my maths are really good aren't they in tier two or maybe 55 percent in tier two 40 54 <laughs> percent uh fucking i don't know but there's one percent is in tier one because it's only cornwall and the isle of silly and the isle of sheppy or the isle of somewhere the isle of you yeah i love you but anyway the point is that tier two doesn't work and we can imagine after you know the difficulty of people not going to the fucking shops for a couple of weeks and not getting pissed for a couple of weeks everyone is going to go to the shops and everyone is going to get pissed and then we have got christmas and christmas is the danger zone right this is what's happening in christmas in the uk up to three family bubbles can convene for five days okay Everybody that knows anything about this from a scientific point of view says there is no evidence that that, doing that is going to get on top of the virus. (laughs) Like, no, you think? So the opposite is going to happen. Obviously, it is just going to go fucking mad after all of that shit goes on, yeah? Now, I understand that it's difficult from a personal point of view to work out the best thing that you can do. The advice is from you know people that also understand that you know people want to spend their uh you know christmases with their mums and dads or whatever like old people this is what you need to do you need to self-isolate for 14 days before you spend time with anyone that is vulnerable okay anyone at all that you think is going to have a hard time dealing with covid19 And it isn't just old people or people with underlying health conditions. Like, it's basically, you know, it's a vicious disease that nobody wants to get, okay? So you've got to basically lock yourself away for 14 days as much as you can, yeah? Before you break your own family bubble and start to include other people and, you know, widen the the circle of transmission, if you like. Um, Now, can you do that easily? No, probably not. But none of this is easy. If you can't do that, then you've got to really think like 
you know, seriously think, well, maybe we just wait until Easter. Maybe we just wait until May or June or whenever the vaccine's going to come along and then, you know, see the people that we really miss and really love then, okay? Rather that than the people that you really miss and you really love dying on a fucking ventilator. There needs to be these voices out there saying, remember, we are in a pandemic, okay? And there's many people doing it on the television, but also there's lots of people that are saying the opposite, which is, oh, brilliant, brilliant, you know, Christmas is here. Well, what about all the other religious festivals that, you know, doesn't matter about them so I've got a problem with this idea that everything is you know on Christmas like you know make or break we've got to have a good time at Christmas well okay that's fine even if you do decide to see people over Christmas that you think you know you don't particularly want to give them COVID-19 then all of the stuff that we do every day needs to be a part of your interactions with those people yeah Uh, social distancing as much as possible, ventilation, obviously the amount of time you spend in a room without ventilation, all of this stuff matters, yeah? The contact, the amount of contact that you have with somebody or with a group of people matter. Now, and this is supposed to be the outro, but another bloody day has happened, so might as well give you the latest. Hattie Mancock, he did a old chumocracy buddy-buddy you know, mate's jobs for an old landlord mate of his who ran the pub near to where he lived. This dude got out of the pub trade and started selling cups, like fucking plastic cups. And when the call came to supply PPE for for the, um, you know, the UK government, this guy, the like ex-landlord, thought, oh, great, I could kind of be in with a little bit of a moneymaker here. Let's just uh, send Hattie Mancock a, a message on WhatsApp. And he did this. And Hattie Mancock said, oh, yeah, great. Yeah, apply for your, apply through the website with your idea of supplying us with PPE. And guess what? Of course, he got the bloody contract. He got the contract to uh, provide millions of vials for uh, tests for PPE. Um, and he's got no medical uh, experience whatsoever. He's got very little retail experience or manufacturing experience. He was in the army, and then he became a pub landlord, and then he moved on from the pub, and he started selling cups. But how does he get this Christian number? Well, of course, he's mates with Harry Mancock. That's how he got the Christian number. Included with the Christian number is he did a Zoom call with a bunch of these guys, like industrialists, as uh, Borat would call them, captains of industry, um, a Zoom call with uh, the sausage himself. He must have been pleased as punch being on the Zoom call with the sausage and with his mate Harry Mancock and all these captains of industry. Uh, but the Guardian uh, was told about this. This, uh, this like an actual businessman, <laughs> contacted the Guardian and said that this bloke, this local like, fucking chancer, who's like pulling in favours from his mate Hattie Mancock, maybe you should investigate. And this guy's gone on record saying, like, it seemed, like in my experience as somebody that runs businesses, you need to have something behind you if you're going to be doing like, you know, meetings with the Prime Minister, for fuck's sake. Like, who is this guy? 
Well, we know who he is. He's a friend of Hattie Mancock. So again, I mean, this is quite a clear example of the uh, My Little Crony, the chumocracy, uh, as it's been called. And uh, so Hattie is in a bit of hot water for that. Now, this is a great little clip that I found the other day. It's, I know this is more than an outro, but, you know, the great little clip. This is Hilary Jones, who's a very, very, very sexy uh, doctor. I think, is it Jones? I think it's Jones. It's absolutely natural that we want to get together with our loved ones and our extended families for Christmas. Uh, I think we just have to be careful. Um, as everybody knows, the more people that get together uh, in a social group, indoors particularly, and the more intimate we are by hugging and kissing, the more likely it is that the virus transmits. We've still got a high prevalence of this virus uh, in a society generally. So I think good advice is to keep the household mixing to a minimum. Of course, have small groups getting together, but not very large groups, and keep it to a minimum of time. Don't have them staying over if it's possible. Um, and I think, you know, keep people uh, fairly socially distanced at the same time. So if you know that your grandparents, for example, have been very careful themselves or unlikely to have the virus and you've done the same, the risk is very small. It's all about balance of risk. Um, so just measure the, the risk, take precautions and enjoy your Christmas. But it won't be a normal Christmas till next year. So there we go. Good advice from Hillary. Um... Hilary Jones there. I always want to say Hilary Mantle, the writer, the outstanding writer. But no, that's Hilary Jones. AstraZeneca, have you heard this? The Financial Times has got a story today. It is a bloody blockbuster, a bloody blockbuster. And if it wasn't for all the tears and all the rest of it, it would probably be big news. Now, AstraZeneca and Oxford, uh, Sarah Gilbert, the last show was dedicated to... Sarah Gilbert, but this is very interesting. Well, first of all, just to say quickly that there's a lot of hope for this because you can refrigerate it, so it means that there's lots of um, scope for for distributing it across the world really easily, okay? Even in rural places in the middle of nowhere, all you do is you put your uh, vials of vaccine in an icebox and then you go, you know, in your Jeep or whatever to wherever, you know. So you can keep this refrigerated very easily. It's totally different than freezing things and, you know, making sure they're frozen at kind of like, you know, fucking bollocks freezing. Uh, so there's a lot of hope for this, um, for, the, for this vaccine, for this vaccine in particular. Uh, but... Financial Times are reporting that the 90% um, efficacy, which was the half dose and then the full dose a month later, well, first of all, that was kind of given as a mistake and it was only given to 3,000 people, so a tiny amount of people, but also the FT are reporting that all of those 3,000 people were 55 years and younger. Now, we know that uh, obviously COVID-19 affects elderly people more than people, you know, 55 years or younger. So that's a real problem in terms of working out uh, like how, you know, how do you pass the information that Oxford and AstraZeneca has given us in terms of the overall efficacy? Yep. If you take away that 3,000 
group where they had, you know, half the dose and then the full dose. And you just look at the full dose and the full dose, I think it was 62%. So we really, and they kind of rounded it up overall, because that was 9,000 people. So they round it up overall to 70%. But we need to really think then, can we, you know, how, how much can we take that 90%? Because it's only for people 55 or younger. And why does that matter? Well, it matters because obviously there's like a massive amount of immunity in people 55 years and younger that is lost as you get older, okay? And that's why the fucking old people are dying of COVID-19, far, far higher rates than than people under 55. So that's not good. And the uh, Financial Times are saying that the uh, authoritative body in the States are really not happy with, with the way that um, Oxford and AstraZeneca reported those findings. They didn't give an age breakdown when they reported these findings on Monday, and it was only kind of found out later on. The authority that uh, authorizes medicines and drugs in the States are like really unhappy about this, and they're thinking, well, like, why are they you know, not just being honest and straight and truthful with us? Why they're not just saying this is the information, yeah? Like I was saying the other day, they've got nothing to hide. Fucking typical, isn't it? <laughs> it's so fucking typical. The one time I say got nothing to hide, they've got, they've got something to hide. Unbelievable. So anyway, you know, they're going to have to go back to the drawing board with this. There's still obviously lots of testing and, you know, experimentation in terms of doses anyway, because they did stumble upon something that does look quite interesting you know but it's not going to pass muster in terms of being rubber stamped obviously you know especially the way that they've kind of told the world about this so i expect that that will be picked up by outlets you know more like less obscure than the financial times uh in the next couple of days or whatever but um yeah so you know not great news really not great news because of the fact that, you know, it didn't include people uh, above 55, but also the way that they're dealing with it. Like, you can't have that bullshit. Do you know what I mean? They're not fucking politicians. They're like a company that's saying, oh, yeah, look, we're, look at us, look at us. We're doing it for free during the pandemic. OK, that's fine. Do that then if you want to. But just give us the fucking facts. And for the Oxford Vaccine Group to be a part of that press release... You know, that's not great. It's really not great at all in terms of confidence of, you know, them just reporting what it is that they're discovering. So that's a bit of a downer for, you know, that that group. Brilliant. Right, let's think of the zebra. The gorgeous thick stripes of the zebra. The, the horse is a zebra. It's not a horse, it's a zebra. And the stripes are part of the zebra's what is it? Protection, is it? Is it that they run fast and they, uh, you know, the, the, the lions can't see them? Must be camouflage, yeah? Must be, yeah. Must be. Right, ready? Think of zebra. One, two, three. Walk between the raindrops. Next show is tomorrow. My God, what's going on? See you later. Take care. Bye. <laughs>